Welcome to A Little TLC, the podcast where we embark on an enlightening journey through the ever-evolving world of education. I'm your host, Heather Volchko, and I'm on a mission to empower educators and changemakers to skillfully navigate the intricacies of serving our most exceptional students. Every month, we'll be exploring a unique and timely theme in a mini-series format, whether we're digging into inclusive teaching practices, addressing student mental health challenges, or exploring the intricate connection between our personal and professional lives, each month offers an in-depth exploration of weekly topics that truly matter. I hope you're ready to be both challenged and inspired because this is a little TLC. All right, welcome back. We are going to pick up right where we left off uh, from last week and take kind of the conversation of what is compassionate care and how is that overlapping um, with emotional intelligence. And uh, we had a a conversation about uh, choosing to kind of engage in the uncomfortable um, so that we can then choose to see the what's possible uh, behind whatever uh, might be going on. And that's compassionate, right? Extending that compassion. So this week, the goal is to make it tangible. Uh, Let's kind of get sticky with some strategies, some ideas um, of things that could happen in classroom spaces, could happen just in educational systems. Uh, There's all kinds of different angles that this conversation may go. So I'm excited to jump back in with you, Adele. All right, same here. So what you thinking? I mean, this is your life. You live this, breathe this. Uh, what are some of those top strategies that you are thinking of um, that would help people, uh, you know, just do one more thing, right? But do what they're doing in this compassionate way. Um, if, if you're talking about it from a personal, um, so you got you got to think about it your way. You got the personal, but you got the system, right? Cool. Um, if you think about it from a personal standpoint, um the strategies that you can do i feel is be intentional about having friendships and building communities with people who are uh, different from you mm-hmm. um when i lived I, so for two years i lived in this town um just south of indianapolis and i was the complete opposite of 90% of the people in that town. Mm-hmm. Um, it was a very, very small, it, it was it's what I call real Indiana, <laughs> you know? And living there, like, I made it my duty to, I made, I was intentional about having those um, friendships, not just with the others as far as race, but like as far as political. Economic status, yada yada. yada. Uh, you you have to have those friendships. You have to have those relationships with people who um, um, disagree with you or whatever. Um, as far as like systems or whatever, when we're talking about school systems, um, kind of the same thing. Mm. Being intentional, but like that looks different on a system on a, on a systemic level right yeah um, and one of the, so one of the things i was thinking about before we um hopped on was a few years ago i worked at a, um i did my internship at a uh, county jail mm-hmm. and it was easily one of the more i always tell people that was one of the more depressing experiences of my life and i got to go home every day Right. Um, just seeing everything that was there. But one of the things that we did towards the end was 
we talked about what does it look like to have trauma-informed prisons, mm-hmm. trauma-informed jails, whatever. And I did a, a big paper about that. So there are things like, so translating that to having a trauma-informed school, right? Um, so making sure that all the, all the teachers and staff are trained on what trauma-informed schools look like. Um, things that, like, there are things that you can do on a systemic level that doesn't cost money. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, because, every, of course, everything comes down to money. Like, so, for example, um, let's, say, let's say you're a kid from a particular neighborhood that has um, a lot of violence or whatever the case may be, right? You want that kid to come to school every day and, and be peaceful. You want that kid to come to school every day and the school would be a sanctuary, a, a place of peace. So, I mean, that could be anything from painting the walls a certain color. That could be anything from um, fixing the lights in the school so it doesn't blink on and off or whatever. That could be anything from um, clean... Um, clean bathrooms. Um, People think that, people always think that it has to be like these huge, like crazy systemic changes or whatever. But like, even those crazy systemic changes start with small stuff. I mean, like, here's a silly example. Um, It was in way more meaningful uh, to the students than I had anticipated. Uh, But I was working uh, in a district and there were certain certain populations that were given what I would call the dumpster dive classrooms. Um, And I say that with affection because I was always one of them. Uh, I was, you know, one place I was working, it was me and the teacher, and we were literally working with the custodian to dig through um, leftover furniture and things that were, you know, hiding in random corners and all kinds of places to be able to build their classroom um, because that population wasn't being resourced as um, as much as everybody else was. But one of the things that we did at a, at a systems level was we said, you know what, like, can we try to make this classroom at least look and feel like the ones that it's next to you? Um, you know, clearly students have different needs. They're here for a reason. But can we in some way try to mirror some of those experiences because they look next door and they think all the things and they look at their own room and it's like, "Mm, what? So we literally went down the hall and said, do you have any extra desks? Um, You know, different classrooms at different populations. They're all given kind of a standard set, like given your current rosters and your kid, you know, current kids who are coming and going, do you have any extra desks? If you do, can we borrow them? Um, and so we literally were able to collect enough extra desks from other classrooms and put it into this classroom. And when the kids walked in, they were like, what? Like, they they didn't understand. Like, we get this. Like, we're allowed to use this. Like, can I sit here? Um, and it was just this moment where I was like, dude, it's your desk. Yeah, of course. Sit down. Like, it's your space. Yeah. Make it your own. Like, we're if not here then where like we literally took out the dumpster dive option like there's no other option to sit on like or space to claim as your own right but it was something that was truly zero cost it was resources that were already in the building the same as the dumpster dive stuff that we had been you know working with 
was also in the building. But like it had such a crazy impact and I didn't understand um, that for me, I was just like, well, same, same, right? Like what they get, what we get, like, let's figure it out and, and work it through. But there was such this like ripple that came through that, that they were like, wait, how did we get these? Like, what's going on? And they had all these other bigger questions that I was just like, it's furniture, right? Like it's, it's just furniture. Um, but to them, it was so much more, it was so much bigger. Oh, that reminds me, uh, right. Where, where I go today is I think too often people don't understand like just the, the psychological damage that is done to a kid who is clearly brought up into a quote unquote less than environment. Like that does like you may not always be able to articulate it. You may not always be able to verbalize it or whatever the case may be, but the damage that it does on a person, knowing that they society, everything in society points to them being less than. Yeah, right? and it's it, it's, it's wild. Like the assumption. Yeah. The assumptions that are made on both sides, right? Like people who've walked through things, people who haven't walked through those things. Um, but just the natural way of seeing the world, the natural way of the the conclusions that are obvious um, are are just not. Um, they're they're just simply not the same. And, and that gets back to what what we were talking about before, as far as like um, assuming that kids are. I, I, they know. Kids know. Yeah. I, I, I don't care how young you are. You could, you could tell when stuff is not. Well, let's be real. You know, students who are walking through stuff and having to make sense of their own world in maybe adult kind of ways. Um, right. They've got, if you want to call it the sixth sense, the spidey sense, the whatever. And there's tons of academic terms that we can wrap around this, but they can read. BS a mile away. Right. Um, so like when I don't, I don't know, when I think of what does compassionate care look like in schools, I'm thinking like we're just demonstrating it. We're modeling it, right? Like by how we are choosing to attend to them, what they're dishing out and how we're dealing with that. If it's through our words, through our actions, just in general, like we are choosing to be good humans. Right. Doesn't necessarily mean it's going to automatically turn around and they're going to be amazing right back to you. Right. Like they've walked through some stuff and they're going to need to figure out that you're not just a words person, that you actually mean and are genuine in what you're kind of putting out there. Um, But it truly is just like I think you were saying last week, be who you want them to be to you. Right. Like demonstrate that golden rule, like treat others like you would want to be treated. And you know, then it is up to every individual person to make those choices, but we don't have to make those choices for them. We get to position ourselves so that they could actually make a choice um, as opposed to just giving us back maybe what we're dishing out. <laughs> right. Absolutely. Absolutely. And you pitch it to the higher ups that, hey, this is some stuff you could do systemically that will make an impact that will show that compassion and care in school. And guess what? It's free 99. <laughs> yeah. Well, and I mean, truly, like, we're having this conversation about classrooms and teachers and students, typically, or at least staff and students. Um, but there is something to be said for also 
colleague to colleague, administrator to teacher, teacher to administrator, you know, but within the adults, um, that the same thing I think is true. Um, that if we're going to turn around and tell people who are interfacing with students, you need to be acting, doing, being this kind of way, then we need to also be creating a system and modeling in our own, you know, interactions or our own demeanor, our own professional choices amongst adults so that we are then treating each other that way as well. And that to me, sometimes uh, in education, I feel like we can be uh, do what I say, not what I do people, um, yeah. where we put those expectations out there, but we ourselves are not maybe living those out. Um, and I think that's where, I mean, last week you were like, thank you, teachers, right? Like, my gracious, there's so many things, right? Like, thank you. But I think part of that is because they are the ones expected to do. Right. And then simultaneously, they are situated in a system that is telling them what to do, but they themselves are not experiencing what they are turning around and, you know, being expected to provide as an experience to their students. Right. Right. So my question for you is, why do you think it's so difficult? I think it's yeah, people are just stretched too thin. Um, that there's too many things, too many demands. Um, if I may be so bold in the education system, there's always a new mandate um, and you can't even finish the old one before the new one comes out. And most of them, if not all of them, are underfunded or rarely or not at all funded. Um, and all the expectations are still there. Um, all of the, yeah, all of the expectations are still there. And so when you're trying to figure out like, okay, so I have to do all of these things. Is anyone actually looking um, at all of those things collectively. Um, and so like I can say that um, in different roles that I have had, part of what I have done is said, okay, let's look at, okay, this is your expectation of this program, this staff, this building, whatever. Um, and okay, got it. Go to someone else or some other department or some other entity, some other, you know, reporting component. You know, this is what those expectations are. Here's what the requirements are. Do that again. Do that again. Do that again. Literally, wherever those things are coming from. And then look at all of it. And there's so many times that there are expectations or mandates that actually contradict um, or could not actually be done together. Like if you're doing one, by definition, you cannot accomplish another um, but yet all of the expectations exist, all of, you know, those metrics, all of all of those things are still there. And then all of a sudden that teacher, that team, that program, that building, that district, that whatever um, is on the hook for speaking to all of the things when in reality, all of those things are coming from individual kind of like siloed yeah. or splintered entities and no one standing on the receiving end, turning back around and going, y'all, some of this stuff doesn't even play nice together. Like, how are we supposed to do all the things? Because the, the two of you, like, we can't make both of you happy. So do we just need to make choices? Oh, left hand and the right hand <laughs> yeah. and talking. Exactly. And then that experience, right, you never feel like you're doing what you're supposed to be doing because no matter what you do, someone is going to have a true critique of whatever it is because you've gone with one and not the other. And just kind of navigating that experience. I mean, as a professional, with who of us wants to show up at, you know, what we are choosing to kind of invest in our, you know, our lives in, um, you know, that professional capacity, and that's where we're putting it and walk in and out every day, knowing that no matter how amazing you are and how much wonderful things have happened, it's still going to be counted as a failure in someone's tally list. Yeah. Yeah. 
And that's where I think, oh, sure, be nice. Oh, sure, model compassion. Oh, sure, all these things, right? When there's a a kind of environment that's set up against that, if I might be so bold, um, because it's one of perpetual failure no matter what you're doing. It's one of high stress because there's, you know, all the high stakes around different things. Um, and then all of a sudden we have to be nice in the middle of it. Like next week, we're going to talk about, you know, self-compassion and like, how do we walk through something like that? Um, but my opinion, you know, in terms of schools, everybody's stressed out, burnt out. Um, we were talking last school year, it's September and it feels like April, right? Like it's just, you know, it's, it's, a lot of things from a lot of directions and everybody's trying to make sense of it on top of, you know, less and less resourcing and more and more mandates. <laughs> right, right, right. This week, it's Hangout Week. Immerse yourself in an exclusive interview featuring practitioners just like you who are sharing their valuable experiences. Whether you're seeking motivation, knowledge, or fresh perspectives, our interviews cover a wide spectrum of topics, even some unplanned ones. We have found that pre-recorded interviews offer the flexibility you need to listen, pause, and revisit the conversation whenever is good for you. And did we mention you can earn continuing education units too? But that's not all. By becoming a member of the TLC Network, you gain access to professionals committed to walking this experience together. Learners get access to valuable webinars, enriching workshops, and engaging guest hangouts. Supporters gain access to our vibrant online community, monthly Q&A sessions, and join discussions in a little PLC. Clever, right? Either way, you'll be among the first to access our podcast and blog pairing every week. Nurture your curiosity, broaden your perspectives, and ignite your passion by joining us for this week's Hangout. And the reason I ask you that question, um... It's not just in education, right? It's in social work. Exactly. Human Uh, services in general. Human services in general. Um, At a certain point, the people that, I don't know if it's like a personality type. I don't know if it's like a, um, I have no desire to be in management. I have no desire to be in management whatsoever. Uh, God bless people who 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 are in management, um, but that's not for me. And like some people may say, "Oh, well, maybe you would be great in management." No, I would lose my freaking mind um, in management. I'm trying my best not to curse on here. Uh, uh, what I really want to say, but. Um, at a certain point, those like the administrators, the the people that make a decision, like you know, they come from usually not all not all the time, unfortunately. But like, where where, where do they lose that that ability to to be compassionate? Like. Once they get to the upper level, like what what what. What are we missing here, people? (laughs) Well, I think I'll speak on behalf of some of the teams that I've gotten to work with across the years. Um, I think the administrators who have walked through the classrooms and they are continuing to choose to be present in the halls and, you know, pop into rooms, not just for like a publicity stunt, but truly because they care for their people. Um, and their people being their staff so that their people can care for the little people. Um, those are 
th- those are the dime a dozen, right? Like those are the the ones that um, are practicing what they preach. They're the ones who are saying this is what you should be doing. And I'm going to turn around and do that too. Um, I've met administrators that do that, that are both kind of walked through the classroom and they've walked into administration and they're turning around trying to <clears throat> do some of that systems work um, so that, you know, that maybe their life as an educator could have been different um, or would have been, you know, supported in a way that they felt would be more effective for their practice, right? Um, the reality is there's also a lot of systems around administrators and they have their hands tied. I've been behind closed doors with admin with desires and parameters um, that they have not been able to kind of work through a work around or they're they're having bigger desires and dreams than what they can get the yes for or what is, you know, acceptable for whatever reason. Um, and so behind closed doors, administrators, um, even with those big compassionate hearts, are still themselves situated in systems, you know, not just the classrooms and yeah. the students. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think, I, yeah, go for it. Yeah, you're, you're right. And, and, and I know that on a logical level. <laughs> yeah. It just feels like you're in a position of power. Therefore, you should be able to wield your power. Um, right. And it's, it's not that clean, right? Like, I mean, schools are bureaucratic systems. Um, They are a federal entity. Um, That's, you know, what they are. Um, And so it's just a matter of how can we do... (laughs) I know. Um, But that's where I think, you know, some of these conversations we're having, yes, I will agree with you. They are, they're just human services things, right? Parts of this shows up in behavior analysis, Um, where we're talking about, you know, within clinics and how are clinic managers treating, you know, their employees or their contractors or their service providers and how are they, you know, managing with insurance and how insurance is actually driving some service provision, right? And that happens in social work and just things like that, right? There's systems. So if it's a federal entity, if it's an insurance entity, if there's some kind of oversight that quite honestly then is typically connected to funding, which is then driving what, you know, like, where where the money flows, right? Um, yeah. But so like it's still a, a systems thing. Um, so that even the people that are the most compassionate and the biggest advocates, um, not just for those that they are serving, but those that are doing the serving with them as well. Um, even with all of those things, sometimes, um, and I think a lot of times, there is an aspect of systems Um kind of uh, around that. And sometimes the art, in my opinion, uh, is understanding those systems so intricately well that you can then bend it without breaking it. Um, And you can stay within the parameters and you're not going to get in trouble. You're not trying to, you know, completely upend the table of the system, which, you know me, sometimes I'd love to. Um, But (laughs) can we, uh, you know, get so familiar with it that we now can find those loopholes, we can find those angles, we can find those ways that we can do right by the people um, that are within that system. If that is administrators in a district, and we're finding that loophole so that they can do that outreach event that they would prefer to do, or they could do this staff support that they've been dreaming of, but they've got these you know, stop gaps and why they can't actually do those things, right? Like, can we use the system by getting so intimately familiar with it 
that we can then find those little gaps and try to work that on behalf of those people. Yes, of course, you know me, like, well, we're trying to fix the system too, but can we work within the system while we're almost kind of working against it? Do you play chess? No. I, uh, nope. (laughs) So, uh, and like what you said reminded me, I use chess a lot with my Mm -hmm. clients. Yes. (laughs) I, I, I use chess, um, Almost every day with my clients, uh, obviously, I'm te- uh, a lot of times we're talking about, like, impulse control, making the right decision, stuff like that. Mm-hmm. But when you talk about playing within the system or whatever, it chess it, it popped in my head. <laughs> it's like knowing what pieces to move, when to move. The pawn is, like, my favorite piece on the board because... Mm-hmm. You think the pawn has no power and has no 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 leverage, yet if you know how to play it right, the pawn can be the most powerful thing on the board. It can change the game. It can end, ultimately end up winning the game for you or whatever. At the end of the day, we're pawns. <laughs> we're pawns. So it's like, how do we maneuver within a system? How do we learn the system? How do we position ourselves to maybe get to the other side of the board and become a queen or, or, or another piece that's lost, or maybe get to the other side of the board and and, and check or checkmate or, or whatever the case may be. Um, I love that. One of, uh, one of our people uh, in the consultancy, I, did amazing work uh, before joining the consultancy and then was leveraging those skills within school systems. And they were like, Heather, this isn't chess. This is 3D chess. Because <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. it's like, yeah, you're you're playing chess to, you know, do what we were there to do, right? But in order to actually do that in a sustainable and like long-term impactful way, it's a whole other dimension that you're, you know, playing 3D chess and to kind of work within systems. Yeah. And you have to look at, you're not, yeah, you're right. You're not just looking at one board. You're looking at like three or four different boards at the same time. And they all affect each other or whatever. Uh, exactly. That, that's why, like I said, paint the walls, fix the <laughs> lights, keep the bathroom clean. You yeah, know, simple that, things. That, 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 that humming noise that that is annoying. Like, <laughs> I went to, I mean, you're like, yo, I can't make this up, Heather. I can't make this up. The summer between my junior and senior year of high school, um, a huge portion of the building collapsed. Yeah. And that's, I mean, you're speaking to one corner of the country, but that is a very real experience. Um, And if I continue on the system soapbox, right? Like, Local funding is from locale, right? So whatever the community resources are is what enables the school um, or the the district, the you know, whatever entity you want to call it. But that, you know, public schooling option in that locale is contingent on the resourcing um, that is available in that region, right? That's why you see so many charter schools pop up. Absolutely. Because, like, there's just no funding to do anything respectable. And of course, charter schools come with a whole nother system and a whole yep. nother 
It's always a system. <laughs> always a system. Always a system. Um, but like it just it just at the end of the day, systems are people. Systems right. are made up of people. It's like, how do we reach those people? Like, irregardless of the system, how do we reach those people who make up that system? Like, yo, let's take a step back and like let's figure out a way to better design this. I'm a bit believing in Einstein's theory of insanity. You know, like we're trying the same things over and over and expect the different results. And we're surprised when 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 the different results don't come. It's like, what are we doing here? Yeah. I don't know. I think when as you're as you're talking through that, one of the things that is popping up for me is uh just like a feedback loop. Um, that sometimes in uh, systems it can seem one directional. Um, and quite honestly, in some systems it is, right? It's uh, it, typically in systems going to be top down, top being from whatever like the governing or authority entity is um, down to anybody who's maybe responsible for implementing that. And that can be pretty much any system. Um, but Effective systems um, or systems that can be responsive or can grow and change uh, and then quite honestly then stay relevant and functional over sustained periods of time, there's a loop. Um, And so that means that then it's bottom up. There's feedback that is provided from the bottom up the system um, that is then honored. And then things are adjusted or, you know, what can or can't be fixed or, you know, at least something tried different doesn't even have to be like corrected. But can there be an adjustment? Um, And then that is now permitted and now that flows down and then that, you know, either works or doesn't work out or there's pieces that do or don't. And then the feedback flows back upstream um, for additional adjustments, right? Like that, that feedback loop, um, that is what we expect of our classrooms. We expect that teachers are creating a system in which students can learn. And then if that is or isn't working, they're looking at their students and they're trying to figure out what's not working. And then they're adjusting their system um, in order to be able to better meet the needs of their students. Like that is, that feedback loop is expected. Um, And then at the building level, to a certain extent, there is also sort of a feedback loop, right, where teachers, educators, classroom or staff can then provide feedback to administrators as from the administrator's expectations. But then a lot of times administrators are more middle management where they're actually just the conduit through which district expectations are coming. Um, and so then building administrators can provide some of that feedback back to the district to advocate on, you know, some things that that may or may not be uh, impactful and sort of shifting the situation, right? And then it's up to the district and then by proxy, then the building administrator to be able to flow that back through and see if it, you know, actually resulted in anything. And then that same, like, you just get bigger and bigger and bigger as that magnitude expands. But it seems like at some point there's a stopgap. So either it's a teacher who says, no, I'm good at what I do and the kid is broken. So I'm fine. The kid's the issue. Right. And then you can literally take that exact same perspective and make it bigger. Right. So then it's the building administrator that goes, no, you're the issue. This is fine. I'm fine. Like you're being fill in the blank, whatever. Right. And then maybe it goes up to the district. No, no, no. Like that's just you. That's just your building. That's just your, you know, corner of the community. Right. And it, it, there's a stopgap where the feedback may be provided, but it is not honored. Um, and then there's no adjustment. And so 
there you go, Einstein's, you know, relative insanity. So it's just going, at what point, you know, can we take that potentially one-way system and actually have an effective feedback loop that keeps that system effective um, and that it's actually sustainable and it can be responsive to what those needs are. We expect it at the classroom level. And then it seems like the further and further and further out from there that we go, either the harder it is or the less responsive it is or what, um, but it doesn't always have a true genuine feedback loop that is honored um, with those adjustments and then, you know, continuing to perpetuate that feedback. Yeah. Now that's true in every system. That's true mm-hmm. in any system. But yep. if, if you don't have that consistent, like you have to look, you have to look, have a, a, you're listening to the people who are on the ground, the people who are in the school setting, of course, that starts with the students themselves. Right. It starts with the students themselves. And if you're not listening to the students themselves, it's like, what are we doing here? Especially in school systems, right? Aren't we designed yeah. to serve them? <laughs> right, right, right. But right. gosh, there's a lot of messy stuff to make that happen, isn't there? <laughs> oh my god, yeah. No, um, I, I'm I'm always trying to think of like just different ways to, and that's probably why I don't want to be in middle management because I don't <laughs> want to be a part of it, right? Yeah. I want to be the person on the outside looking in, just being like, what can we do different? Where, and not even coming at it from it from a, always a judgmental lens or whatever, but like just a... It's the same way of looking at anything. What's working, what's not working. Okay, right. If it's working, cool. Not broke, don't fix it. And then right. if it's not working, okay, what are our options? What are our angles? Um, and I share that because that's kind of my professional trajectory, right? Like I started in the classroom and then at a certain point in my career kind of realized... What is impacting my ability to do what I do is bigger than me. Um, And that came from walking through some situations with some students that I was like, that's just not right. Like, that's not okay. Um, So how can I and like, what position do I need to have to be able to impact something bigger than what I can control in my four walls? And that's kind of where I've grown, right? Like, then that's the work that I kind of continue to do in a whole bunch of different capacities. But it is very similar to you in that perspective of going like, I can control what I can control, right? But if there are other things outside of me that are actually undermining my ability to do right by whatever it technically is within my control, well, then it's not actually. And like, those are the things that need to adjust, not even correct, like just shift. Um, And that kind of goes back to what's working, what's not working. Cool. Keep what's working. And if it's not working, what about it isn't working? What are some, you know, other angles that we could do? Like, I'm not saying just throw it out, right? But like, what else can we do that still aligns and abides by whatever parameters we have to live within, um, but can maybe result in different impacts on different people to potentially then have different outcomes? And and that's why I made the comparison to um, to chess, right? Mm Mm-hmm. All right, if you play a game of chess and you keep doing the same dang thing over and over again, and like if you keep on bringing your queen out too early or whatever, and your queen keeps getting taken, but you know, like, yep, that, that that's idiotic. That's, <laughs> that, that's, that's a stupid strategy, right? If you um, 
are playing a certain way, you're not paying attention to the way your opponent's playing. That's you know idiotic. That's stupid. That's going to get you. You're going to lose all the time. Mm-hmm. And we so we have to like just look at the whole thing. You know, look at everything, every moving piece, every moving moving part of it, whatever. And recognize that each part, each piece has value. Right. But I think that goes back to last week's conversation. We were saying treat each other as humans, right? So like how do treat we each other as humans? Yeah. Right. Like how do we engage in compassionate care? How do we demonstrate empathy? How do we leverage emotional intelligence? I mean, it comes down to just be nice. And like yeah. just be nice, treat each other as humans. Um, but I think this week's conversation, we've really centered a lot on the things that are maybe outside of our control um, and kind of those systems around our practitioners. Uh, so I'm excited for next week to talk about like, what does that look like? What does it look like to do what we can do and sit with the, that dissonance of things that we can't do or things that um, yeah, are just are just hard, are really, really hard to walk through? Um, how do we do that as practitioners and choose then to still in the midst of that heaviness show up and demonstrate that compassion and remember that everyone around us is human when we ourselves are also walking through it and struggling as well? Yeah. Okay. All right. I'm looking forward to it. All right. See you next week. All right. See you. Hey, before you jump back into your busy life, we want to invite you to head over to thresholdlearning.org, your one-stop destination for all things TLC. Here you'll find our blog with this episode's show notes, our ever-expanding bookshelf of resources, and anything else we've talked about. Trust us, there's a ton of benefits waiting for you to explore. Just head over to thresholdlearning.org, click on Network, and we'll see you on the inside. Sharing the podcast with your colleagues is the easiest way to support the show. You can find us at Threshold Learning TLC on Facebook and Instagram. A personal recommendation is by far the best way to share the podcast. Let them know they can listen on iTunes, Spotify, and anywhere else they catch their podcasts. Just be sure to leave a rating and review on your favorite platform. You can email us at info at thresholdlearning.org. We always enjoy connecting with fellow educators and champions for educational justice. You can find everything you're looking for at thresholdlearning.org. See you there.